Welcome to Mind Body Health. My name is Cobb. I'm engineering today. We have some great guests coming up your way. I hope you'll stay tuned. And with that, we begin the Mind Body Health show. Welcome, Dr. Marvin Trotter. Good morning, Cobb. How are you? I'm doing so great. And how are you? And welcome I'm to our guests. I'm almost awake. I'm having my Dr. Pepper, but I'm close. Cool. But we're going to have an interesting show today with Dr. William Way, who's a new family resident. Um, he just finished medical school in Boston, and I'm going to introduce him right now. Good morning, Dr. Way. Good morning. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> so, <clears throat> always my first question, how did you get to Mendocino County? Yeah, so um, I grew up in Northern California, um, Pleasanton, California, and um, I was really looking to be back. Um, I've been away for about 10 years studying on the East Coast, went to undergrad um, in upstate New York, and then, like you said, uh, med school in Boston, so it's really nice to be back home. So that must be quite a change to go from Boston to Mendocino. Yeah, it is, but... um, it's been really nice to sort of uh, see California um, from a refreshed lens. Uh, it's it's something that I definitely took for granted when I was a child. Uh, but now being back, I'm like, wow, it's, it's it really is beautiful out here. There he is. So what's our topic for today? Yeah, I'd love to talk about LGBT health, um, anything from... Um, you know, HIV prevention to trans health care. Um, it's something that I'm really passionate about. Um, I identify myself as a queer Asian American um, immigrant. So um, it's something that I've had to deal with personally, but also professionally as well. So one of the things I want to do, we have a new class of family practice residents now, is for people to understand that you just finished medical school and now you're going to do a three-year residency in family practice in Mendocino County. Could you tell us a little bit about that and yourself and why you came here? Yeah, I think family medicine is um, incredible because uh, it's the intersection of so many different things. Um, And when you're looking at... um, a person, it's all about caring for the whole person, not just parts and pieces and organ systems. And so with family medicine, um, there's also a huge component of um, social history and who you are as a person, um, which often is um, just as important as your medical comorbidities. Well, you bring up a topic that I think um, working in primary care, because I was board certified as an internist, um, <clears throat> So much more important is what's going on with a person psychologically or as you know, as a whole person versus what their A1C is for their diabetes today. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of people pick, pick these subspecialties because you don't have to do the whole person. I'm just yeah. wondering what your atrial, how your atrial fibrillation is going, exactly. not the whole person. Yeah. But if you look at studies, the people that do best in life and live the longest have a primary care physician. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a it's a real art to primary care that, um, unfortunately, a lot of um, specializations um, these days and the urge to specialize has really um, almost... Um, fractionated care um it's very it's very much siloed and i think that's that's not great and there's just no question that the residency program i hope is going to be the salvation of having primary care in northern california not just mendocino county yeah and can you just kind of 
reintroduce what the residency program is and does for any new listeners or people who may not be familiar with that? Um, well, the, the, the deal is, once you go to medical school, you're an MD. You've graduated from medical school. But then I went and did three years in internal medicine, or you go and do three years as a pediatrician, an OB-GYN doctor, or a family practitioner. Family practice is the most encompassing. Internal medicine is mostly elderly people, or certainly people, you know, over 40 or 50. Uh, family practice does it all, from OB-GYN to pediatrics to elder care to everything in between. And the um, idea is that Charlie Evans and some other people work very hard to get a three-year residency program. So this is a state-certified UC Davis-associated family residency program. And at the end of this program, they take a national test to be board-certified in a in family practice. Did that answer your question? Yeah, it, more or less. And it's a big deal in Mendocino County because... There's no primary care. I mean, there is primary care, but I, I want people to understand that when I was in medical school, all kinds of people went into internal medicine and family practice. That was the majority of people. Uh, now, uh, it's ear, nose, and throat, or dermatitis, or whatever. The average student is graduating with a quarter million dollars in yeah, debt. Yeah. And I think that's a huge thing about some of these. Mm -hmm. And for Mendocino County, it's meant like how many family practice doctors are here now? There's, there's not enough, and they're all old. So the idea is that there's six or seven new people a year that do the three-year program here. I know two people that are already staying here, Kara Everhart and somebody else, have already bought homes. And that's the whole purpose, getting them a good education and hoping that some of them will stay and be the primary care doctors because we're in desperate need of them. I don't care if you're in private practice or at the clinic. Right, and the overall residency program total number of, of family practice doctors is eight, 18 because there's three years so that's a pretty big jump in available family practice yes care. you can why don't you discuss what your clinic would be like or your practice now yeah so um our class has uh six um new residents um intern year um and we all, we all come from different backgrounds, but um, we also have clinic time, but we spend a lot of our time um, rotating through different um, different things, such as um, OBGYN. Um, I'm currently doing um, community medicine, um, so I'm really learning about the different um, uh, orgs out there. Um, and so I think the program is great in that it gives you exposure to a wide variety of things and you can sort of pick your own adventure. Um, if you're interested in surgery, you can pursue it to as much as you like um, or whatever your interests are. The point that I'd like to make mm -hmm. is you can now have Dr. Wei as your primary care physician <laughs> for the next three years through the family practice, internal medicine, family practice clinic. Pretty cool. Yep, yeah. So on with this subject. Okay. So give us a introduction to the issues that you were going to talk about today. Yeah, absolutely. So um, my background has been um, mostly through service learning work. Um, when I was in college, I volunteered and did work with several LGBT homeless youth shelters. And it turned out to be predominantly um, black trans women in New York City, um, different 
agencies um, throughout, whether it was um, on Christopher Street or up in Harlem, um, you sort of got to uh, see exactly what the issues are within the community. Um, but then during medical school, I was working with the Fenway Institute on their LGBT aging project, and that was predominantly um, sort of white gay elders. And so the range of um, people within the community um, I think is huge, and also intergenerationality um, or the lack thereof is another um, big issue in terms of um, what really makes a community and um, how do we um, sort of connect to one another. Also, driving over here, I thought it was interesting about your view of how do you approach medicine when you're in a minority group. Yeah, um, I think there are definitely a lot more risk factors when you are um, of a minority. Um, I think you have to navigate things in a different way. Um, I know, like, for um, instance, um, my mother... Um, isn't native English speaker, and so I've always accompanied her um, on her doctor's visits. And so, um, even as a as a young child, I had sort of had to um, explain to her, and because I was, you know, the 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 child that did the best uh, academically and in science, uh, I was the person who sort of took on the responsibility of um, translating and um, allowing her to understand exactly what her diagnosis was. Um, or um, communicate to the doctor um, what her symptoms were. Um, so yeah, there are huge barriers um, as a minority to access. So tell me though, I think that you made a you know some interesting points of how um, open you are with the doctor and and how ignorant doctors are. I was surprised uh, when I was talking to you. Um, how when I think about what new education I've had in any subject, I'm sort of sort of practicing the medicine that I did 10 years ago, that there's some challenges that people are completely unaware of the issues amongst the queer community. Yeah, I think um, medicine loves to talk about um, lifelong learning, and I find that it's, it's actually um, not... Uh, people draw a line when it comes to certain subjects, and one of those subjects is LGBT healthcare, um, trans healthcare. And so um, I really do encourage providers to continue um, this aspect because a lot of times, you know, um, I find that people um, are so confused and can't be bothered with pronouns um, or the new quote unquote lingo. But um, there's constant new um, medical um, revelations that people are keeping up with. Um, so I find it really um, interesting and uh, bewildering that people um, can understand the latest you know, new medications, but um, uh, refuse to sort of um, address somebody by um, their pronouns. Um, but I, th I do think that... Um, there's a lot of doctors, including myself, it's easier to learn a new medication than take on the social issues, which mm -hmm, require a mm -hmm. lot more emotional thought process, et cetera, et cetera, than learning just a new diabetic drug. Could you address some of the uh, specific um, medical issues amongst the queer and trans community? I think that's a good topic because I think most people are ignorant on them. Yeah, I think a big one um, that disproportionately affects um, people of color, um, gender minorities, trans people, um, is HIV um, prevention and care. Um, 
things such as PrEP um, is readily available right now, but not everybody's comfortable prescribing it, and not every um, not everybody will sort of self advocate um, to be prescribed PrEP. So, having lived through the AIDS epidemic in this in the eighties, uh, describe PrEP a little more because to yeah. me this is a fascinating, wonderful, exciting medication. Yeah, so PrEP um, stands for pre-exposure um, anaphylaxis, um, and so it's basically um, a pill that you take once a day to um, sort of build your immune system so that you um, uh, can't get um, AIDS transmitted, uh, or at least it lowers the risk significantly. Um, it's very, uh, the indications are um, pretty easy to get on. Um, depending on the version you get, sometimes you know you have to get labs to um, get kidney functions monitored. Um, but other than that, it's it's uh, pretty accessible, and um, because it's generic now, um, it should be um, low cost as well. And um, because of that, um, a lot of people should be um, using it that are high risk. Um, not necessarily just people that are queer, but um, anybody with a risk of um, HIV AIDS. Yeah, you don't want to get HIV if you can avoid it. You know, another thing that I noticed was Roe versus Wade, that in Alabama, they were trying to take that decision and ban a lot of uh, trans uh, medical care. Yeah, I think um, there are a lot of things that uh, are now at risk of being reversed, um, whether it's sodomy laws, gay marriage, um, trans rights and care has always been threatened. Um, it's just one of those things that not a lot of people um, talk about. Um, every year, more and more trans people are killed, um, and it's becoming uh, something that the media doesn't necessarily cover because it's not necessarily new news. Um, and that sort of erasure is um, a huge component of um, why queer people continue to face sort of all these hate crimes and um, social injustices because there's just there's a huge lack of awareness. Well, I think it's more than the huge lack of awareness. I think there's a lack of awareness, but also it fascinated me that the, um, the TVs made so much of this uh, white blonde-headed girl that was abducted and killed by her boyfriend who fled to Florida. You know, it was all over the news several months ago. Mm -hmm. But you don't read about the Native American woman, so-and-so mm. uh, from Covalo, mm -hmm. where I work on Thursdays and Fridays. Mm. And I think there is a huge bias of what you see on the news, and trans isn't as exciting or, right, or right. mainstream or whatever you want to call it. Um, and it's, it's a very disturbing thing, like I say, working in Covalo. Um, um, and I don't know, uh, I think I think having more discussion in the newspapers on the on the radios and having available and having ava available um, clinics, I think just having you and Ukiah that people know that you're aware of these um, um, medical and social aspects would be a great thing for the populace. Yeah, I absolutely um, agree. I think um, trans healthcare uh, has oftentimes been um, siloed into um, these larger institutions that do um, sort of 
multidisciplinary um, care, uh, multi-specialty care, which mm -hmm. I think is huge. Like, it's great that you have a psychiatrist and an endocrinologist and a surgeon and this huge team. But that also becomes um, very burdensome to a patient to almost have um, this amount of appointments to have to go to. And I think that's where um, family practice really comes in, where um, it's not that you need this many specialists. It's just that a lot of times um, people don't necessarily feel comfortable um, prescribing um, hormone treatment or um, you know, just managing um, a, a gender nonconforming um, patient. And I think the more that we as family medicine practitioners can do for our community, um, the less likely yeah. they need to have this demand on um, the system. Yeah, it all comes back to primary care, I swear yeah. to God. Yeah, it, it has does. so much to do with what you can discuss with your primary care physician rather than driving to San Francisco to multiple disciplinary. We need to talk to Terry Boudreau, who does the continuing medical education stuff at the hospital, mm -hmm. and have a series of lectures once or twice a year yeah, to absolutely. try to get the residents and other physicians up to snuff. It is amazing how much medicine there is and how difficult it is to keep up with things. So my question, uh, Dr. Wei, would be, you know, what especially inspires you and what does that intersection look like here in Mendocino County in terms of being a family practice doctor and trans and LGBTQ care and, and your sense of how educated people are that you've been interacting with in terms of like pronoun awareness and gender nonconformity awareness and that kind of thing. Yeah, I think it's interesting that um, it, there is a huge cultural um, component to it. So I did a lot of advocacy work when I was in medical school. And so by the time I left, um, pronouns were sort of on everybody's badges, um, everybody's signatures, um, email signatures. Yeah, so there's like a really huge cultural component to sort of accepting this um, sort of language. Um, and it's really just about um, being mindful that not everybody presents the same way that um, they identify as and just um, sort of... I think the more inclusive we can be by thinking about the least included person in the room um, or wondering who isn't in the room, um, I think that's how we can expand these um, otherwise um, often um, very exclusive spaces um, to uh, be mindful of others. Yes, it's amazing how we all get into our own little niche and just stay, you know, I'm in the, a medical niche. You know, I don't get out with the South Dakota people very often. I do go to Greenfield stuff. Um, uh, do you want to talk a little bit about McCavin? Because I think that's an interesting source for the community that everybody not, may not know about, do, or I can, if you yeah, wish. Yeah, you can. Go ahead. So the Mendocino County AIDS Volunteer Network was started in the 80s because of the terrible care that the HIV people were taking, getting and we started a social aspect of this. It still happens and hopefully this year we'll have our event of the heart in February. But it's um, uh, right near the hospital. It's uh, for AIDS, Hep C, um, you know, just different issues amongst the community. And they're a great outreach group and a great place to go for education and treatment. Um, 
Libby Guthrie is the boss there. Ace Barish is the doctor there doing uh, hepatitis C work. And that's another um, medical term, I mean, medical disease that uh, with Eplusa, did I say that right? Eplusa, E-P-C-U-L-S-A, is a new drug that you can take for 12 weeks and cure your hepatitis C. And if you're uh, like I am in a clinic and taking four to six liters off of somebody's belly a day, mm. uh, every other week that has ascites from their mm. liver failure, um, hep C is a treatable illness that's just un, you know unheard of. And you can cure hep C infection of your liver. Yeah, it's really incredible that, um, like you say, um, medicine has advanced so much. Um, and I think what McAvern's doing um, in terms of their um, harm reduction and HIV care is really incredible. Um, to think that this was a life, like a death sentence before, and now it's just um, really changed to being more thought of as a chronic illness is really great. And something that I hope um, the listeners can take away is um, that not everybody knows that U equals U. Um, it's something that uh, it stands for um, undetectable equals untransmittable. And so if your viral load um, as a HIV-positive person is um, near zero, um, you effectively cannot transmit the disease. Um, and so there's still a lot of stigma around HIV. Um, and I find that in couples that are um, serodiscordant, so somebody's positive and negative, um, uh, those, those do exist. And that um, a lot of times, um, even from within um, the queer community, there isn't this sort of um, knowledge about um, about the disease. I think the really important thing is to have it discussed in the community and discuss it with your doctor mm-hmm. and find yeah, out what's going on. Compared to the 80s, there's so many good medicines. Nobody has to get HIV, and it's a chronic disease if treated well. I have a friend that's been positive since the 80s who looks a lot better than I do, kind of upsets me that he looks better (laughs) but well i just want to chime in before we get off the cabin you know how people find them or reach out or what they might look for it's mcavn i would have to look it up but i'm sure if you looked up mcavn mendocino uh, aids volunteer network you'll find that in any google search got it and uh, just while we have a moment, I want to tell everyone that we are tuned to KZYX Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Um, we've been speaking on Mind Body Health today with our host, Dr. Marvin Trotter, and Dr. William Way of the Adventist Health uh, Residency Program, the Family Care Residency Program, and in particular covering, how would we say it, Dr. LGBTQ uh, cultural sensitivity? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, and so that's it um i i guess uh, along those lines of cultural sensitivity are you aware of any other education sources people have around here to to yeah Yeah. i believe um planned parenthood has been um doing a lot of the hormone treatments um and trans health care um, but it's something that uh, the residency program, at least, was very um, on board with um, as part of my interview process of possibly starting a clinic or, um, at the very least, making our clinic more robust um, with our services. 
So just to explain again, there is a family practice residency clinic in the mm -hmm. two-story building across from the hospital. And you can have a resident for the next three years starting with this class to be your physician. And hopefully Dr. Wei and some other people will stay, stay afterwards. <laughs> um, and what's the contact info for that for people that are interested? I'll look it up for us. But I, I used to know the number. Okay, and while he's looking that up, I want everybody to know that if you're uh, listening today and you're interested to call in with your questions to get live in the studio here with either uh, Dr. Marvin Trotter or Dr. William Way, you can. And that number to call is 707-895-2448. So if you want to call in with a question, the number is 707-895-2448. Yes, and the number you can call to get started, even though they have clinics in different places, is 463-7495. 463-7495. That's for the residency. residency program. Okay. And I think that the, um, I think having a knowledgeable, robust, like you say, not having just one physician, but having the residency clinic available and knowledgeable about these issues is the way to go yeah definitely rather than it takes just a having team. one doctor yeah for sure yeah. cool and we have a caller welcome to mind body health go ahead with your question hi <clears throat> excuse me uh i missed the first few minutes of your show and i didn't get the breakdown on the local covid situation if you could give me a short recap of that i'd appreciate it the the local code situation COVID. Okay. COVID. Yeah. We're not, uh, we're not talking about that on this show, unfortunately. That's Dr. Colfax. Um, uh, nothing, uh, nothing extraordinary is changing with the local COVID situation. Um, also, I was wanting to talk about the, just to, as another issue, the Family Practice Residency Program is doing a lot of new stuff with OB. The residents, the faculty of the um, residency program is also doing OB. And I just want everybody to appreciate the diverse, difficult, uh, hardworking residency program. Um, it is no little thing to run a residency program or go through Dr. what Dr. Wei is going to be going through. I'll ask him to describe his next three years to us because I think that's a little bit of an education yeah, for people. Sure. So, um, uh, intern year is supposed to be the most grueling, but um, we spend time um, on all sort of services, whether it's inpatient in the hospital. Um, I'm, next month, I'm going to go to UC Davis and work in their um, pediatrics um, ED. Um, and other rotations include um, at the VA, um, as well as uh, OBGYN and surgery. So um, we get to see a large breadth of things, which is really important in family medicine to sort of um, not only get exposure to it, but potentially see what um, different students are interested in and gravitate towards. I think that people uh, also, I think it's great that the residents go to the Boonville Clinic or the Round Valley Indian Health mm -hmm. Clinic for rotations or in Fort Bragg. So they see um, the different areas of the county because as Dr. Wei is saying uh, you may s do your three years and s decide gosh Fort Bragg is where I want to practice my uh, primary care um, there's a great clinic system uh, Rod Granger at MCHC 
you know, the Laytonville, the Covalo, Boonville, Point Arena, Willits. There's a lot of good clinics scattered throughout the county that they all could work in or start in private practice, like the Bechtel uh, Clinic in Willits. So the idea is for after medical school, it's a demanding thing, just doing the hospital service that I did for years. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a long hours taking care of people in the hospital, in the ICU, doing, uh, uh, working with the midwives, doing OB. Uh, family practice is a uh, not for the timid uh, people because you're supposed to know everything about mm-hmm. everything from the little baby that's brought to your office yeah. versus the Alzheimer's patient in their 80s. Right. People say uh, family medicine is all about um, care from the crib to the casket. So that's such a huge breath and a really diverse population as well. I'm going to ask you one question because it seems to me that um, I should have become, I should have been part psychologist when I was an internist. Mm. That it's so much whether or not you can connect with a patient about their health. Uh, it's not just about them taking their metformin. You know, it's their the whole body care. Yeah, definitely. Behavioral health has been more and more integrated into primary care yeah. as well. Um, and I think um, even having just a therapeutic relationship with your um, with your doctors um, is huge. You know, um, like some uh, when I was working at the um, aging project, there were um, people who weren't out to their um, physicians, and um, that I think speaks um, hugely to um, the culture of medicine and the ways in which um, different populations have been um, traumatized and revictimized um, within the system. But um, having that sort of um, understanding with a with a doc, I think, is really great um, and uh, helps tremendously to forwarding anybody's care. So I have a question. In your overall medical training, because um, clearly LGBTQ general care is a big inspiration for you, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. So within your general medical training. How much training did they have for you as, a, as part of their program along those lines? Right, that's a great question. I think um, it's, it's funny because um, as a medical student, I was able to present um, a present, uh, like a, like a con- I think it's called um, CME, like Continued Medical Education um, Credit, accredited um, uh, talk on um, Gender minority care um, to the um, to the med- the general medicine um, department, and I think uh, that wouldn't be possible as a medical student um, if it wasn't on a topic that um, people were so uncomfortable with. Um, and so, in a lot of ways, it's allowed me to use um, uh, my platform to advocate for uh, my community. But in a lot of other ways. Um, I think it came out of a necessity because I was so um, unsatisfied with the teachings that um, we were getting in the curriculum. Mm-hmm. And I can imagine that was near zero five years ago. Mm. Yeah, mm. I mean, even today, um, there, there was like a study done um, on how comfortable people were um, leaving uh, medical school on treating, you know, uh, gender and minority sexual um gender and um, sexual minority, sorry. Um, and yeah, uh, the, the statistics were really um, abysmal. Um, so 
making that more robust, um, not only in residency, but hopefully um, the change happens so that it occurs in medical school as well. You know, just being able to speak Spanish to people that are uh, don't speak English and just the how much more relaxed they are and how much more, you know, um, happy, you know, how much better the interaction is. Uh, just being able to have spent time in Latin America and speak Spanish, I can imagine the very same thing happens in the queer community. Right. So the sense I give it with any uh, minority community across the board is like already family practice care for anyone is hard to come by, especially in rural areas, and then that's compounded for any minority group. Is that... Yeah, just that they teach you the basics about everything, but at least when I was in medical school, racism, gender, minority stuff wasn't, I don't think it was even mentioned. Mm, no. And then what's been your experience in terms of how helpful it is as a family practice doctor to be a person that your patients can identify with? Yeah, I think uh, there are different... Um ways to go about um, balancing your personal identity with um, your practice. Um, I've heard it both ways. Some people don't make it um, really known um, to their patients, but personally I think it's important because um, one, it's about like visibility is important and I think representation does have value and I think um, a lot of times people don't envision necessarily a queer um, physician as um, their archetypal, um, you know, doctor, and I think uh, being able to change that and expand that perception is um, huge. Um, and I also think personally, um, getting to know, um, having patients get to know you as a person um, also builds that sort of trust. Um, you're not devoid of your community um, as a caretaker. Um, and oftentimes, um, there's almost like an expectation to sanitize oneself um, in, in terms of representation and um, the ways you interact with um, people in the community. But um, I, really, uh, I really think it's important that doctors are part of the community. They're not just like traveling for miles away and, you know, uh, doing uh, work and then leaving. Um, I think it's really important to be um, integrated and uh, be a visible, active member. You know, it's interesting to me to think of um, um, Dr. Calderon in the ER. Um, she's a, a Hispanic woman, and she uh, wants to kill me every time she sees me because, well, you know, she goes and takes care of somebody, and she's an excellent ER doctor, and, and they're still expecting the white male to show up, mm. you know. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm and I'm sure just being Asian is a, is a thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, it's interesting. Yeah, especially around here, um, it's it's grown up. Um, it hasn't been. Um, I think uh, it's definitely changed as well. I'll say, um, growing up, I was um, definitely like racially um, outcasted, um, but now it's it's been so prevalent in the Bay Area to have such a large. Um, population of Asian Americans, um, but then coming back up here, it's it's um, not as diverse um, once more. Hey, we have another caller. Welcome to Mind Body Health. You're live on the radio. Well, thanks for taking my call. 
I'm so excited, uh, Dr. Wei, to hear you on the radio and um, wanted to say that as far as I'm concerned, you're incredibly, <laughs> this is such a welcome thing for our community. Um, I wanted to ask um, if you could address the aging LB, LGBTQ uh, community and gerontology and family practice, and I'll hear what you have to say about that. Uh, on the air. Thank you. Sure. Thank you so much for it's your a big call. question. Yeah. I think something that people don't um, think about is that old folks have sex. Um, and oftentimes they have a lot of sex. <laughs> and it's something that I, uh, when talking with the aging community, um, was really um, important. And um, the cultural aspects of sort of navigating this um, new digital era, I think, is um, something that I've heard um, is a concern. Um, because there is a lack of intergenerationality, like where uh, people are so siloed um, that it's it's difficult um, to participate when you don't have um, sort of access or the tech savvy. Um, and also from a medical point of view, yeah, um, I think uh, doctors aren't necessarily doing the same screening questions that we would for somebody in their 20s. Um, and yet, um, the elderly community um, still needs those, um, you know, tests. They still need um, access to um, pro prophylaxis like PrEP um, or prephylaxis in that case. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of my take. I'd like you to spend just another minute on the PrEP stuff because I think that that's um, not well known in the medical community and I wouldn't think even so in the general community because... Uh, preventing HIV disease is a is a big deal, yeah. and I don't know that most people are aware of that uh, yeah. medication and the possibilities of using it on an acute basis versus long term. Yeah, so um, with PrEP, uh, the brand name, I guess, that uh, most people know it by is Truvada. Um, and you might have seen commercials for it, but um, now it's generic and um, should be um, much more accessible than um, when it was um, not generic or a brand name. And so uh, typically it's just a pill that you take once a day. Um, and that's it. You need some testing um, before uh, because you can't be HIV positive um, before being on it. It, it, might, it may make that worse. Um, so you just have to make sure that you're HIV negative. You do some um, kidney tests as well. Um, and uh, you can be on the medication. And once you are, um, you just need um, STI panel screening uh, about once every three months. Um, and uh, to just check in and see if there's any sort of complications with the medication. Um, there's a different um, sort of other way of taking the medication. Um, that's often very common and um, more sort of um, popularized um, or advertised in um, places like the UK and Australia, but it's called PrEP 211. Um, you take two pills two hours before intercourse. Um, and then another pill 24 hours after intercourse, and then another pill another 24 hours um, after that um, first pill. So um, 
that just makes it so um, your medication burden is lowered. Um, you don't necessarily have to um, be constantly um, taking the pill, um, especially for people that don't like to do so. Um, I think that's helpful. But on the cons and the risks are that you do have to plan for it. So it might work for somebody who isn't um, as sexually active, um, like sort of a good time would have been like um, COVID would have been a good example for that. Um, where you want it to still be protected when it does happen, but not necessarily uh, have to take a pill every day. And then um, more recently, um, they've introduced an um, injection um, of PrEP, and so you just have to um, go, um, I think it's once every month or three months, something of that nature, um, and you just get an injection of PrEP, and um, you're pretty much safe. Which is a whole lot better deal than becoming positive. Um, you know, one of the problems that I've, or issues, or I've been very empathetic with is the trans um, 12-year-old or 14-year-old or whatever, yeah. and just wondering, how do you navigate the world? Yeah, so <clears throat> a lot of people have um, a lot, uh, strong feelings about um, kids um, and their gender identities. Um, I've heard things like it's just a phase or they're too young to tell. And these are um, in terms of um, where um, a human brain is uh, fully developed. Yeah, that is true. It's it's not. But there's things that we don't necessarily have to do um, that we can still um, help a young child um, in terms of possibly preventing um, a death. Um, suicidality is so high among trans teens as well as homelessness of 40% um, of, 40 of um, uh, homeless youth. I think 40% of them are LGBT and of that um, LGBT, it's most, it's like 40% um, trans youth. Um, and so things like social transitions don't need a medical intervention and can be life-saving. Things like just allowing um, them to dress the way that they like, to grow their hair out, um, or to cut it to however much they like, and to begin that social transition in school. These are things that do not require medications or not long-term. and. Um, can be irreversible, you know, you can, you know, cut your hair <laughs> if you grow it out or um, grow it out if you cut it short. Um, these are not um, hugely um, life-changing decisions, but they can be life-saving decisions if you just let your child or let a child um, sort of begin that social transition process. So a friend of mine has a 12-year-old girl in Berkeley who's decided to go by the name of Ace, mm -hmm. and she's been doing these different things and I now call her he instead of she and that sort sure. of thing. Um, but I find um, I think they're more comfortable with this than I am. Mm, yeah. And I don't know um, it's, it is anytime you're put in a social situation that you're, you know, me going to Asia or yeah. I don't know. It's, it's a um, I think that we can do a lot of stuff ourselves, um, handling the situation and acting. It was it was Norm calling him Ace, et cetera. Mm -hmm. yeah. Someone who I've known since birth yeah. um, has been a, a transition for me. Yeah, definitely. I think um, 
for a lot of parents and adults around children, it is difficult because um, people talk about sort of almost like a death of their child, um, but then getting a new one. I I, I, I can empathize with um, how adults may be feeling, um, the foreignness of all of this, um, and how this concept really wasn't um, culturally as salient as it is today. Um, but nevertheless, I think um, uh, when I've worked with um, teens and adolescents, I just find them so inspiring, like the level of self-awareness and um, exploration that they've done on their own is really incredible and something that, um, I mean, I was so scared. I was terrified of my own um, identity when I was younger. And so I just kind of put my head in the books and um, focused on school. And I knew that someday, um, you know, I'd be in a place that um, could possibly understand who I was, or at least I would come to a place where I could understand. Um, but when I was like, uh, working um, in pediatrics, like there's just it's really it's really all inspiring to see so many people um, understand pronouns and understand their own pronouns and sort of advocate for themselves. And I think um, the future uh, with these kids is really inspiring. That's fun to hear. Uh, and thank you for being here, by the way, Doctor Wei, and speaking to all this. Yeah, uh, my name is Kyle. I'm engineering in the studio for Mind Body Health today with uh, Dr. William Way from the Family Residency Program. And our host, of course, has been Dr. Marvin Trotter. And we're coming up near the end of our show. If you're listening out there and you want to call in with a question, we do have a few minutes left. And that number to call is 707 895 2448. And if we want to get hold of Dr. Way, the number should they just call the residency program yeah they can definitely call the residency program um the clinic um i should say and um they could book an appointment um to um see me my schedule is pretty open because i'm a new physician so yeah you'll get in sooner than later 463-7495 463-7495 is the residency program um so what are your um aspects outside of the lgbt community you're here for three years what would you you know do you want to plant redwood trees do you want to go surfing every day uh, uh what yeah, are your what is you know um so in terms of other things about me um yeah. uh, i do have a dog he's six years old his name is river um he's a shiba in you and i love him to death um i got him Pretty much right after college, graduated in May, um, end of May, um, and then I got him uh, 4th of July. So <laughs> it just took a, a little bit of time uh, in between. I've always wanted a dog in college, but I couldn't because none of the um, apartments. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Um, and additionally, I uh, uh, do like um, Olympic lifting. Um, it's very meditative, and um, I think people think of it more as like brute strength, but it's actually like um, a lot about technique, a lot about breathing positions. Um, so yeah, that's so I go that to I the do. gym all the time. Oh, but great. Um, Olympic lifting usually, you know, these people are short, as wide as a bus. Um, but there does seem to be an enormous amount of technique on how yeah, you deadlift yeah. weights, etc. Uh, so, yeah, the movements are typically um, a clean um, and then a jerk, which is um, getting the bar up to about your shoulders and then pressing it overhead, or a snatch, which is just one movement of getting it overhead. 
um, those are the two predominant um, sort of movements. And over your next three years, just as as a doctor, you know, do you have? Did you come here with any particular inspirations that you want to move forward with over the next three years? Yeah, I mean, I would love to get um, a clinic um, started um, for sort of gender minorities and trans patients. Um, that would be huge. So if anybody wants to participate in that, feel free to let me know. Um, and in terms of um, you know, just being the best um, family doc I can be after residency. Got it. And we have a caller on the line. Welcome to Mind Body Health. You're live on the radio. Go ahead with your question. Uh, thank you. Uh, where does Dr. Wei practice? What town? Okay. Sorry about that. Yeah, um, so I'm Ukiah. Um, I'm part of the Adventist Health um, Family Medicine Residency Program. We have a clinic uh, right across the street from the hospital, um, and you can find me there. Uh, my schedule sort of varies based on what um, rotation I'm on, but um, I do have clinic and I do have hours availability. Okay, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for your call. I do. They do, they also do rotations through the different. They also do rotations through the different clinics, but that's their home base for the next three years. Yeah, yeah. Welcome to Mind Body Health. Well, if you could turn your radio down, you're live on the radio. Oh, hello. Great. Well, thank you very much for this show. It's interesting and appreciated. Um, I was just wondering, I had a, several questions, and one is how many counseling hours between a patient and a doctor does it take to diagnose transgenderism? Yeah, that's a great question. That's a great question. Thank you for calling Yeah, how do you uh, make that definition? Yeah, so I think um, part of uh, part of that is um, because children, you know, don't have fully developed brains, um, we really have to see um, consistency and um, sort of at what time do they start to sort of uh, uh, express. Um, now, anybody can be transgender. Um, they can come out at any point, um, even in their elderly stages, um, people have come out. But in terms of children, it is particularly tricky because of the aspect of um, not being able to, uh, obviously, uh, sort of be your own healthcare um, advocate, um, but also the, the issue of uh, puberty. It's sort of this um, impending um, process that's um, very time sensitive and it's a lot easier to block puberty than it is to um, reverse it. And so um, uh, it's not necessarily um, a X number of hours that you need um, in order to prove that uh, your child is indeed um, transgender. It's really just about seeing um, how strong is this desire, how consistent is it, how prevalent is it. You let um, the child's social transition um, and then see how they sort of do um, and if their um, sort of desire persists. It's also about gender dysphoria. How uh, much do they feel like um, their body is incongruent with um, the sex that they were given at birth. I hope that answers your question. Oh. Let's see, we've got another caller. Welcome to Mind Body Health. You're live on the radio. Hi, 
fine. I got cut off. I asked how, how long it takes, how many months or visits it takes to diagnose a child, and I didn't get to hear that. Did he give me how much, how many times? Yeah, how so it's, it's not a set number of hours. Yeah, I, uh, I, got, I heard, honey, I heard the whole story. Oh, okay. I'm asking you if, you, if you can tell somebody a boy's feminine, does, the first time, does that mean he's queer? No, no, no. Um, especially okay, with give me a time. I, okay, if you can't give me a time, let's go to my next question because I know you're going to end up having to get off the show here. So you had so, another um, question, yeah? I do. So if you can't answer it now, I'll just keep moving on. Um, you said that you want that they. It was different because they couldn't make up their own decisions. And why don't doctors wait until they can? Yeah, so that's what um, puberty blockers are, and oftentimes we um, work with um, parents to sort of see what's best for the child. Um, I hope that answers your question. Okay, you're live on the radio. Go ahead with your question. I have a, I have a question. You know, I grew up queer, mm-hmm. and... Uh, the DSM manual said that homosexuality was abnormal when I was growing up, and it was a disease and should be treated. And then the DSM took that out of there. And I'm wondering, and they say now that us queers were normal, but I'm wondering when, how long till gender dysphoria comes out of the DSM manual, and it's just normal, and we all can just be normal in this world. That's a excellent point, and yes, I do think that... Oh, and if you can, really quick, so we only have a few minutes, define what the DSM manual is for context. Yeah, so the DSM manual is um, something uh, created by um, the psychologists that um, sort of um, outline what are the criteria for um, certain um, psychiatric diseases. And so, um, yes, it is true that um, homosexuality was um, thought of as a disease, but um, what's important to note is that, um, yeah, the, uh, medicine changes um, as cultures do, and that medicine is not um, a hard, um, it's not unchangeable. Um, I think it's constantly subject to change as science um, is constantly under scrutiny. And so um, it's, it's really great that uh, they were able to take that out, and it was uh, largely due to... Um, uh, LGBT advocates within psychiatry that were able to um, sort of um, let the rest of the um, field and practice see that it's not some sort of um, anomaly. In terms of gender dysphoria, I agree. Um, I think transgenderism is now taken out, but there is still a very real um, sense that um, people uh, go through, which is this dysphoria, this um, incongruence of their um, body and the sex given at birth or the parts that they were given versus the gender that they um, feel like um, they they live in. Um, That's a great answer. And we have about a minute and a half left before uh, we're going over to the breaking news at 10 a.m. Right. What? Where would you go on the computer if you wanted to read more about this? Is there a particular... Um, sites that you appreciate? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think there's so much um, out there that it is hard to parse out, but I, I've worked with Fenway Institute, and I, I really do like um, the resources that they've done, and they've also been a four, uh, leader in terms of HIV um, research. And this is F-E-N-W-A-Y? Yes, Fenway like the, Institute. Like the park? Yep. 
they're actually right across from the park. <laughs> okay, in Boston. Yep. And okay, thank you very much, Dr. Way. Dr. William Way, everybody, and then Marvin, two programs you'd mentioned that people can search for uh, to further education was the McCavin. McCavin. Right? And uh, Mendocino County AIDS Volunteer Network, and then Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood. It locally are available. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.